Hello, and thanks for listening with us today. We are the Beach Church. We are real people trying to show real love from a real God. We hope that you enjoy this podcast and that you continue to stay with us. We are encouraged by everyone who listens. We hope that you are blessed today by everything that we talk about. See you guys. Take care. Thank you guys for worshiping with us this morning. Amen. Uh, we want to continue to just honor the Lord today with our time um, and just honor him with his word this morning. And so uh, we often try to uh, connect passages uh, throughout the Bible uh, to help us. And so uh, to illustrate this um, message this morning of Awakening the dawn. Uh, we're going to have four passages that we're going to read today. And so Benjamin's going to read Amos chapter 5. Heather's going to read Psalm 70 for me. Selena's going to read 1 Thessalonians 4. And then I'll read Matthew uh, 25. And so, uh, Benjamin, do you want to read that for us this morning? Amen. Got to get right. Woe to you who long for the day of the Lord. Why do you long for the day of the Lord? That day will be darkness, not light. It is as though man... It is as though a man fled from a lion only to meet a bear, as though he entered his house and rested his hand on the wall only to have a snake bite him. Will not the day of the Lord be darkness, not light, pitch dark without a ray of brightness? I hate, I despise your religious festivals. Your assemblies are a stench to me. Even though you bring me burnt offerings and grain offerings, I will not accept them. 24, yeah. Though you bring... Though you bring choice fellowship offerings, I will have no regard for them. Away with the noise of your songs. I will not listen to the music of your harps, but let justice roll like a river, righteousness like a never-failing stream. Amen. 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 Heather's going to read Psalm 74 this morning. Amen. Good morning. To the chief musician, a psalm of David, to bring to remembrance. Make haste, O God, to deliver me. Make haste to help me, O Lord. Let them be ashamed and confounded that seek after my soul. Let them be turned backward and put to confusion that desire my hurt. Let them be turned back for a reward of their shame that say, aha, aha. Let them all, let all those that seek thee rejoice and be glad in thee. And let such as love thy salvation say continually, let God be magnified. But I am poor and needy. Make haste unto me, O God, thou art my heart, my help and my deliverer. O Lord, make no tearing. Amen, 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 amen. Is going to read 1 Thessalonians 4, uh, 13 through 18. It says, Now we do not want you to be uninformed, brothers and sisters, about those who are asleep, so that you will not grieve like the rest who have no hope. For if we believe that Jesus died and rose again, so also we believe that God will bring with him those who have fallen asleep as Christians. For we tell you this by the word of the Lord. That, he who, that we who are alive, who are left until the coming of the Lord, will surely not go ahead of those who have fallen asleep. For the Lord himself will come down from heaven with a shout of command, with the voice of the archangel, and with the trumpet of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. Then we who are alive, who are left, will suddenly be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so we will always be with the Lord. 
Therefore, encourage one another with these words. Amen. Amen. Word of the Lord. Amen. 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 I want to read for you Matthew 25 this morning. It's the parable of the, the ten virgins. Matthew 25, starting in verse 1, it says, At that time, the kingdom of heaven will be like ten virgins who took their lamps and went out to meet the bridegroom. Five of the virgins were foolish, and five were wise. When the foolish ones took their lamps, they did not take extra olive oil with them, but the wise ones took flask of olive oil with their lamps. When the bridegroom was delayed a long time, they all became drowsy and fell asleep. But at midnight there was a shout, Look, the bridegroom is here! Come out to meet him! Then all the virgins woke up and trimmed their lamps. The foolish ones said to the wise, Give us some of your oil, because our lamps are going out. No, they replied, There won't be enough for you and for us. Go instead to those who sell oil and buy some for yourselves. But while they had gone to buy it, the bridegroom arrived, and those who were ready went inside with him to the wedding banquet. Then the door was shut. Later the other virgins came too, saying, Lord, Lord, let us in. But he replied, I tell you the truth, I do not know you. Therefore stay alert, because you do not know the day or the hour. Lord, I pray that you would just help us to see your word today and let it encourage us and challenge us. Lord, as we have read it today, as we have heard it today, may we also mark it and learn it and emerally digest it in our hearts today, that we would continue through the comfort of your holy word to rest on the blessed hope that we have through Christ Jesus our Lord. It's in his name we pray. Amen. 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 Well, I want to talk to you today about awaiting the dawn. And we're going to look at these three components of justice, hope, and vigilance. Justice, hope, and vigilance. And so we're going to embark on a journey today. You guys remember that song? We're going on a bear hunt. We're going on a bear hunt. No? Right? And then you get... You get to the mountain or something, can't go over it, can't go under it, must go through it, right? You obviously don't have children that are in uh, elementary school. Um, so that song is ingrained in my head, right? Going on a bear hunt, right? They eventually find the bear, and then they have to run away from the bear. Um, and then they say, we're not going to do that anymore, right? And it gets faster. Anyway, there's no other way for us to get around or above or under the text. We're just going to go through it today. And we're going to let God lead us in our hearts. And so we're going to journey through Scripture. We're going to explore these themes of justice. We're going to look at the urgency and the hope that we have and the need for us to depend on God in those moments and then the vigilance that God requires for us to have in our lives. And so we're going to delve into each passage. We're also going to, while doing that, look at some historical context because that's important to understand what historically is being said in the passages and so that we aren't uh, pulling from things that we don't need to or can't pull from. And so in doing this, my hope and prayer is that it will enrich our understanding of Scripture and that the application that we can draw from these timeless truths will encourage us today. And so that's what we're going to do. So the first passage that we read, that Benjamin read for us this morning, was uh, Amos chapter 5, verses 18 through 24. And that's where we see the depth of true worship. <coughs> the depth of true worship. As you think about what worship looks like. We have to take into context what is being said by Amos here. Amos was a prophet in the 8th century B.C. So when did David reign as king of Israel? 
around the 10th BC, right? 10th century BC. So you see, 10th century BC is when David reigned in Israel, and now 8th century BC is where Amos is prophesying. So it's, it's closely connected to the time frame where we see Israel uh, walking in the captivity into Assyria, right? And so he spoke against two things in this text. He spoke against the backdrop of social inequality, but also religious complacency in Israel. And we're going to break down why those two things matter when it comes to being God's covenant people. Social inequality and religious complacency in Israel. The problem is that his audience, right, the, the people he was speaking to were God's people. They were confident about a particular dynamic in their lives. You ever met somebody that was just really confident? They just woke up and were like, I am the stuff, right? And that person just, it's, it's a lot for them to come to terms that they may not be right, right? Because they're just so confident in everything, right? It can be a, a real position for some folks, but, but it also can be a dangerous spot because there's, there's only one way to go from, from that position, right? Um, but confidence is something that uh, many people have had in certain particular areas, right? We're confident in our ability to do this, or we're confident in our ability to do this. One of the things we see from God's people here is they were confident in their status as God's chosen people. Now, that's a novel thing and a good thing to be confident in because God said, I'll never leave you nor forsake you. I'll always be there with you, right? He spoke that through the prophets to them, and the Abrahamic covenant instilled that devotion to them that he had in their lives. But the problem is that they were so confident in their place as his chosen people that they began to neglect the fullness of the covenant that he had given to them. See, it wasn't just that he was going to be their God and they would be his people, but it also said that through Abraham's descendants, all the nations of the earth will be blessed. So it wasn't just about them becoming complacent in their relationship with the Lord, is that they had neglected to be a positive influence in the society. And that's a dynamic that we want to think about because I think if we look at what's happening in this culture, we see people who had become pretty ritualistic in the way that they were uh, working out their lives, right? They were confident in their status as God's chosen people, but they neglected true justice and piety. And so a Amos is confronting this misplaced confidence in their lives. And he's saying the words, you know, I, just, I detest these rituals that you're doing because you don't have any, there's no depth to it. You're just doing things. And it's not the rituals that were evil. It's the fact that they weren't connected to what mattered most. Right? You can, and this is a truth, right? We can, we can excel in certain areas, right? And we see here that Israel proud, prided themselves on the fact that we're keeping the feast. We're doing all this stuff. Right? We're God's chosen people. But they were neglecting the society around them. And so we got to see the dynamic here, right? That we can excel in all of these areas. Right? If we're going to try to draw application here, we can see Amos confronting them and saying, you're excelling in all these areas, but the fullness of what I wanted you to do was to be a blessing to the nations. And right now, your, your society is a wreck. You're not promoting justice. You're not promoting righteousness. It's, it's, it's wickedness abounding. Now, we can't control everything that a society does, certainly in our demonstration of, of a society, because we are not in a uh, monarchy with a, some sort of a theocratic uh, theocracy uh, 
burgeoning around us, but we're, we're a republic in America, right? So we have senators and governors and representatives, and we have local leaders. And so we know that uh, it's different than what Amos was trying to appeal to God's people who were in covenant relationship with God, and God ruled in their land uh, as a king to them, even though they had kings. It's different, but the correlations are still the same Anytime we see covenant people in a culture, in a society, Amos was condemning them because they said, you're great at all this, but you're not very good at this. Like you're great at, you know, doing all these things, but you probably aren't getting this part, right? And so what are we to do in that in our lives, right? Do we sing all the songs, right? We're in here in worship. We're saying, your goodness, God is running after me. I love you so much. And then we get into a fist fight outside of the church. With somebody right after church, right? I don't think that's how the word, that's how it's supposed to go, right? We're not supposed to excel at things in here and then do things poorly out there. Now we fall short, we miss the mark all the time, right? That's why the Bible says all of us are unworthy of God's grace and favor in our lives. But our response in those moments can't be, yeah, but we're God's chosen people, so we're good, right? God loves us, so it's okay. I worship really good. But I am not very friendly outside of church. We're missing the whole fullness of what the covenant was intended to do, right? You pride yourself on being God's people. Then may the nations be blessed by everything that we do. And so we got to understand that we have a duality to our, our existence as God's people. Because we've been grafted into that, right? We've been grafted into that, right? He came to his own, and at the time, his own did not receive him. But to all that did, he gave them the privilege to be called the children of God. So we've been called the children of God. We are the people of God. And we are called to go into all the world and preach the gospel. Not just to excel in one area, but to understand the fullness of what he's calling us to do. And so that's the practical application that we see here, right? So let's reflect on that for a moment. Amos is saying that rituals are empty without following it up with justice and righteousness. Again, the rituals aren't what makes, aren't evil. It's the fact that if they're done without accompanying it with a genuine heart to love one another and to walk in peace and to live in a way that brings God glory and honor, uh, then it's not the fullness of what it is. And so we've got to be careful in our lives that we don't miss that moment because if we are failing in some of these areas outside of the assembly if we're failing in these areas outside of community then we need those rhythms we need the times of prayer we need the times of bible study we need the times of gathering we need all of these celebrations and these these holy days that we come together and we consecrate the worship of the lord we need all of these things but if we aren't excelling, using, if we aren't allowing God to use them to change us and transform us and to renew our minds, uh, we got to keep at it. Because if we stop that, it's never going to change what we do outside. Now, you guys may say, I don't need any of that stuff. It's just me and God. You're walking outside of the historical order that, is, that has happened from the very beginning. Even before there was a church in the New Testament that was built on Jesus, God's people regularly assembled together. That is not something that we can say in a, in a place of authority, I don't need this. I can do this this way. 
that's a dangerous place to be because you are, you are kind of pioneering or trailblazing a path that, that was not laid before you. So we've got to be careful that we don't disregard these rituals, right? These things that we do on a regular basis because they keep us grounded and allow God to open our eyes so that we can be who we need to be when we walk outside these doors. So we gather to worship him. We gather to break bread together. We gather to devote ourselves to the apostles' teaching and to the fellowship and to the prayers. But then we go out to love one another and to let our light shine so that others might see him. We need both. And that's what Israel was failing in. And so let's reflect on how we can pursue a faith that goes beyond ritual to actively embody God's justice in our world. Now we know that Micah 6.8 affirms these truths as well where it says, you know, what does the Lord say to you, right? How should you live? What, what should you do, right? To, 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 to love, mer- or love, love mercy, seek justice, and to walk humbly before your God, right? These are the ideals that, that we are supposed to have in our lives. And so what do we learn from Amos's response? We learn that true worship involves more than rituals, right? It's more than rituals. It's not that the rituals are evil. It's that it's more than that. And make no mistake about it. The only thing that makes our worship not ritualistic, because you guys sometimes hear that word and you're like, is if it has no order no discernible path to follow. If we say, you know what, we're not going to play a single chord that makes any melodic sense. We're not going to sing any notes that make any intonation that, miss, that, that, that can, you can follow. Because we don't want it to become a pattern that we follow. We're just going to go with it, man. Nobody does that. And there's a reason why nobody does that. Because music has a pattern to it. And if you don't follow that pattern starts to create something a little different than what you're anticipating. <laughs> and there have been bands that you know, we're going we're gonna, to we're gonna rage against every law that music offers. I, I, one, of our, one of our members had a band, uh, and, and their goal in the band was to detune their guitars a different way, play chord progressions in a different way, do everything different. And what it sounded like, um, it was creative, and they were letting their juices flow, and we, we affirm and support them for their creative expressions. But musically, that was different than what... <laughs> we're not talking a different frequency here, right? We're saying you are taking things that, 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 were, that have been crafted to make a certain sound, and you are, you, are, you are making a different sound with that. And that's not lack of ability. That's, that's a rejection of the pattern that's been laid out. And so that's why music is so fascinating, and people that master those patterns are or push those limits and, and, and use their creativity to bring things together. It's a beautiful thing. And so worship involves more than rituals. It requires a commitment in our lives to live righteously and to live a life that promotes justice. And in doing that, it kind of sets the, the foundation for what we see in the psalmist when he is writing about the urgency that he has on his dependence on God. So Psalm 70 teaches us about the urgency of dependence on God. Now as the superscription had on there when when Heather read that, it was a Psalm of David, right? And it's written during a tumultuous period of time. And David, if anything, was known to have tumultuous times during his kingdom reign. 
Even though he was successful and God blessed him and he was a man after God's own heart, David made some poor decisions and those poor decisions affected those around him and it ultimately affected the overall success of the kingdom. But again, because God made a covenant with David. God has honored that covenant. And we know that Jesus came through the line of that covenant. And He's the fulfillment of that. But this psalm is reflecting on a personal and a communal cry for help amidst adversity. And this is one thing that's beautiful about the psalms. The psalms weren't written just to be poetry, just to be uh, wisdom literature. They were written for communal expression. The people would sing the psalms all the time. They would gather together and they would read them together. This was an expression that was meant to connect to not just individuals, but to everybody. So how in our lives are we understanding this truth to be played out? In David's time, he was relying on God in a tumultuous situation because he says, Lord, I can't do this without you. You're the only one that I can rely on in this moment. You're the only one. And many of us have been in similar situations or we feel like we have because it feels like everything around us is imploding and all we have to rely on is God. The beautiful thing about those moments is that we often realize that He is the only one we need when we're in those moments where we feel like He's all we got. Lord, I'm holding on desperately. But I need you in my life. That's what the psalmist is saying here. He's relying on God. And so in thinking about the day of the Lord, I think this is important because Amos is challenging the Israelites saying, you don't want the day of the Lord to come. Because <laughs> you aren't doing what you need to do. You think the day of the Lord is going to be a day of vengeance and a day of justice and a day of vindication for you. But it's actually not going to be for you. And that's a message for anybody who claims to be doing things but isn't fully committed to the Lord. To have a form of godliness, right? And that's the reality that the day of the Lord brings. It's a blessing to those who understand what it brings for us. But to those who reject God, it is a day of judgment. It is a day of darkness. And so we see that reality playing out in Amos. But then if we follow that into Psalm 70 and we see David in a tumultuous situation, we know that at times in our world we are in tumultuous situations. If we look at it from the perspective of the world that we're living in, we know that all of us are in some way, shape, or form, dealing with something. And those crises and those issues are going to continue to unfold in our lives and in our world. But the psalmist invites us to see a truth. And that truth is that we need to rely on God in times of distress. What does it look like to rely on God in times of distress? I think it's important for us to ponder that thought. What does it look like? I think Psalm chapter 40 Verses 1 through 3 helps us understand this. It says, I relied completely on the Lord. And he turned toward me and heard my cry for help. He lifted me out of the watery pit, out of the slimy mud. He placed my feet on a rock and gave me secure footing. He gave me reason to sing a new song, praising our God. May many see what God has done so that they might swear allegiance to him and trust in the Lord. This is a psalmist who's saying, you know what, I recognize that when I cried out to God, he was there for me. And because of his goodness in my life, may many see the Lord. 
We have a beautiful responsibility when we think about the deep trust that we can have in God's deliverance. And so, how does this ancient cry that we see in Psalm 70, how does this ancient cry inspire us or challenge us to seek God with the urgency of our own challenges? Do we, do we draw to Him? Do we connect to Him in those moments? Are we willing to lay down our, our desires for Him? Because what happens is Psalm 70 transitions us from this societal ritual to something very personal where we see the psalmist saying, Lord, I, my life is a mess right now and I need you. So not only can we rely on Him to fulfill what He said He's going to do, but we can trust Him each and every day of our lives. Each and every day of our lives we can trust Him. And that points us to a hope that we find in Paul's letter to the Thessalonians. He was giving them a reminder of the hope that they have. And when Paul wrote this, he wrote this in the mid-first century. And this letter was actually uh, drawing concerns uh, with the early Christian community in Thessalonica about the fate of those who had died before Christ's return. And so Paul was trying to set their minds at ease that uh, those that had died were going to precede them and that there was going to come a time where everything was going to happen. And so... What does the resurrection mean for us? You see, one of the reasons why the resurrection is such an important thing for us and it's such a blessing for us and it's what gives us hope is because we recognize and believe in our hearts that Jesus is the first fruits of the resurrection, that He came and that He died. And that when He resurrected, He shattered every attempt and every authority that the enemy had on humanity and gave us an opportunity to walk in victory. Paul said himself, if the resurrection wasn't true and it didn't happen then i above all people ought to be pitied because i have devoted my life to this and it's why we see as early as the second century records of god's people meeting on sunday celebrating the resurrection of jesus because they recognized that that was the day that he resurrected and that was a day that they considered to be a holy day and so they would gather to celebrate. Now some may say, you know, we'll celebrate Jesus' resurrection every day. That's great. We should. But historically, they also did it on this day. Now take that for what it's worth. But that is what they did, right? So we should celebrate it every single day. But there's a significance to the way the church has always understood Sunday to be. It's why, as you see, the gospel being opened up to, to the nations, you began to see transition happening within the communities and all throughout the the regions where uh, friday night through saturday night being the sabbath really started to become a focal point to where sunday was the day where they would gather and rejoice and it was a time for them to do that so the resurrection and the hope of the resurrection literally is what has sustained and stirred and upheld the faith the hope that one day Jesus is going to come back and we're going to be resurrected. Even if we die in this mortal flesh, this is just temporary. That we're, we have a hope for the future. It changes how we live our lives today to know that we have hope for the future. And so Paul is reassuring them of a future resurrection. And he is affirming the Christian hope in Christ's return. We have hope. It's one of the blessings that we call the mystery of the gospel, right? That Christ died, Christ rose again, but that Christ will return, right? 
It's, it's the fullness of what we see in our hearts. And so, this passage is challenging because it challenges us to consider how the hope of the resurrection shapes our perspective on life. How does it shape our perspective on life and death? Do we face each and every day as if it was a day that the Lord has made? Right? Understanding the context of that, right? This day, the day that we celebrate His resurrection, that is a day that the Lord literally made. He made this the Lord's day when Jesus resurrected. And so we are called to rejoice and be glad in that resurrection. We are called to rejoice and be glad in the hope that we have that one day all of this will go away. And that gives us joy today. We see that in Revelation chapter 21, verses 1 through 4. It invites us to see uh, the beauty of what we have to look forward to. Revelation chapter 21, verses 1 through 4. It says, Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and earth had ceased to exist, and the sea existed no more. And I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, descending out of heaven from God, made ready like a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Look, the residence of God is among human beings. He will live among them, and they will be His people, and God Himself will be with them. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and death will not exist anymore, or mourning, or crying, or pain, for the former things have ceased to exist. Right? We can rejoice in that hopeful expectation that one day all this pain is going to go away. It's what makes it possible for us to live our lives today in victories because we know that this is not the end. If we live our lives thinking that this is the end, then it changes how we live. Because we're going to live for the moment. We're going to live for whatever our desires want. But if we understand that we also have the hope for eternity, it changes how we live our lives. And so the hope that we see in Thessalonians is grounded in the early Christian experience. They understood this. It was grafted into what they did. It was how they worshipped. Everything is built on Jesus. That's why in writings like the Didache and, 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 and different writings that we see, the Apology of Justin Martyr and so many different things in the early churches, people who, the, the, the writings of Ignatius of Antioch, all the writings of people who, who walked with the disciples, we see a continuation of what they said, that the resurrection of Jesus was an ultimate expression and hope that sustained us. And what, is it, what does it do? It doesn't just grind, grind us or ground us into connecting to something that has gone before us, right? Last week, we celebrated those whose shoulders we stand upon in this church who have gone on to heaven. And so while we remember them and we try to continue to live in a way that brings God glory and honor to, to continue the work that they helped establish and many started, the hope of the resurrection points us to a future perspective. We're looking forward to that day. We're looking forward to the hope of the future. And so it points us to a readiness, a future-oriented perspective, and it points us to what we see in Matthew's Gospel, which is readiness for the kingdom. To be ready for the kingdom. You see, this parable of the ten virgins, Jesus is telling this parable in the first century Judea. And get this, this, is, this, will, this will probably be shocking to you. In the first century, 
It was a time of heightened apocalyptic expectation among the Jews. <laughs> you guys know what century we're in today? 21st century. And I might add, it seems to be a heightened apocalyptic expectation among Jews. We're still living in a season where people are like, the end is here. It's coming. Now, why is that? Well, because the end is coming. Right? So it's that. Well, I had a, a friend of mine. Uh, he was a, a different a pastor. He used to say things like, it was a truism. I don't know if that's a word. But he used to say it's a truism, right? So I just thought about that when he was saying, God is coming back. Yes, that's correct. He is. When is really the, the big thing that people want to figure out. When's he coming back? And, and can I just set your heart at ease for a moment here? We don't have the time to get into any eschatological debates. Um, I'd invite you to come to breakfast or Bible study on Wednesday. Um, and we, we'd love to have those discussions. But I would just tell you, if you study the Bible, and you understand what the Bible is saying, there are wars, there are conflicts that are going to happen with Israel. But there's one thing, a significant thing that happens, that we are nowhere close to happening. And that is Israel being at peace. Enough to where nations are going to align together. And there's going to be this peace. They haven't been at peace since they established themselves as a nation. They're constantly in conflict. We have, they have an Iron Dome system that protects them. If it wasn't for systems like the Iron Dome, and if you guys ought to study some of the laser technology that they're creating, it's literally like Star Wars, um, the 12th episode. Like, it's literally so far ahead of what we understand that they're developing lasers, lasers, like that are come out of the ground to, to, to protect their region and their area because they're constantly getting attacked. We just don't, we don't, we don't see it. Now we're, 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 we're honed in on it because it's, it's happening in a very public way, but they're always, I mean, it's literally, we have firework shows down here in the summer every weekend. And so you can sit outside and you can watch the fireworks. Children in Israel can literally watch bombs being blown up in the sky. That's a normal thing for them. Israel is by no means close to peace. Now, does that mean that we aren't walking into precursors to something, right? That we aren't, we aren't going into seasons like that. It's possible. But I just want to set your hearts at ease that, that they, there has to be a hero that arises that, pr that promotes peace through the whole region. And they're far from that right now. As much as it's scary, it doesn't really match up with what the Bible describes. Now, it does say that nations are going to rise up against Israel. They've been rising up against Israel from the beginning. We know that, that that is going to continue to happen. And as those events unfold, more and more significance is going to be given to those, those moments. And God's word is true when it comes to how he protects Israel. And he does and he will. And he will bless those that bless them. He will curse those that curse them. But I think it's just important to know that as much as we're, our, our senses are heightened because we see conflict, it isn't, it isn't matching up with, uh, with the fullness of what's going to happen, right? So if I were you guys, I would be more concerned if everything was great over there. And there was just a singular person that was just promoting so much peace and everybody was coalescing around this individual. Then I'd be like, wait a second. <laughs> what's happening right now? The fact that there is jihad going on, that, that is more of an indication. The fact that it's the same ideology that is, and hatred that has fueled uh, a desire to destroy God's people. So we know wars are going to come, and wars are going to go. 
So if the first century they were worried about the apocalyptic uh, significance of events, and here we are in the 21st century, we're still worried about apocalyptic significance of events, what are we to do? Well, the Bible tells us that we ought to be ready. You don't know when he's going to come, but you've got to be ready. Now, we have ideas, right? And we can talk about those ideas, and you know there are a lot of books that have been written on it. And everybody has their perspective on it. But what the Bible says in Matthew 25, it relates us to this message of being prepared to not be caught off guard when things happen. And so this parable was a response to questions about the coming kingdom and the end of the age. See, when Jesus claimed and came as the Messiah, the understanding was that he was going to set up his throne on the earth. And so there were significant questions. Of, okay, this is it. This is the moment, right? This is it. This is the moment, they thought, right? But Jesus didn't come to do that in his initial coming. He came to deal with the eternal consequences of sin first. And when he comes back a second time, he's going to establish his throne on the earth. And it's going to be a wonderful thing to see, um, to experience. So we think about this for a moment. This parable emphasizes something for us. It emphasizes the need for constant readiness for Christ's return. Can he come back anytime he wants? Well, I don't know if I'm going to argue with him about that. I think he can. At this point, he can come back whenever he wants. Will he? What is our response to that? Be ready. Be ready. Be ready. You see, we're called to consider our own spiritual preparedness in anticipation of the coming kingdom. And we see passages that, uh, that affirm this, like in Luke 12. Luke 12 reminds us of these truths that we read in Matthew 25. I want to read it with you today. Luke 12, uh, verses 35 through 40. It says, Get dressed for service and keep your lamps burning. Be like people waiting for their master to come back from the wedding celebration so that when he comes and knocks they can immediately open the door for him. Blessed are those whom their master finds alert when he returns. I tell you the truth, he will dress himself to serve, have them take their place at the table, and will come and wait on them. Even if he comes in the second or third watch of the night and finds them alert, blessed are those. But understand this, if the owner of the house had known at what hour the thief was coming, he would not have let his house be broken into. You must also be ready because the Son of Man will come at an hour when you do not expect Him. You do not expect Him. You see, what Luke 12 stresses for us is the need for vigilance. You know, the word vigil was established to uh, be a, a watch over a... Predominantly, it started out with, with bodies, right? When someone would have a vigil, they would, they would watch after a body so that somebody wouldn't come and try to steal something from it, jewelry or something. And so they'd have a vigil. That's where that word vigilance comes from. It's watching out for something. Being vigilant to watch out for something. And so historically, like when the church would connect to that, right, the church would have vigils all the time, right? There, there are vigils leading up to, uh, to Easter where you see them staying up all night, right? Because there's this understanding of the, of the coming of Christ. And so the church used to meet all the time and have vigils historically because 
they weren't sure if at any moment they were going to be bombarded by uh, Roman authorities or, or people who were trying to attack them. And so vigils are still happening all over the world today where people are praising God while some watch out and watch and pray. And so we are likewise, in a larger sense, called to be vigilant and to watch for things and to be ready. The significance of this is beautiful and we can't underestimate it. If you would have heard Jesus say these words in the time that he said it in the first century, he would have known exactly what he was referencing. Jesus was a Galilean. Jesus was referencing Galilean wedding festival activity. What would happen, and we've talked about it before, is that when the bridegroom became betrothed, after they had the ketubah, right, and they exchanged the covenant with each other, and they passed the cup to each other, and they became one, what would happen is the bridegroom would go and build an addition onto his father's house. We know Jesus told his disciples, I go to prepare a place for you. And when I go, you need to know that I'm coming back for you. Right? He's expressing the language that would have been consistent with a Galilean wedding festival. And so what would happen is, is at that moment, if you were betrothed, as a bride, you had to keep yourself ready. Right? There were no off days, ladies. This was no Netflix and chill days. You had to stay ready. Because it wasn't just a purity perspective. You had to make sure that you had oil in your lamp, that you were dressed, you were ready, and that you were waiting on it. Because at any moment's notice, at any moment's notice, when the father would tell the bridegroom, go and get your bride, that trumpet would blow. And everybody in the neighborhood would know what was happening. Because they knew that they were in the middle of a betrothal period. And so they would run out of their houses with their lamps and they would form this processional. And they would all celebrate as the bridegroom would walk towards the house of the bride. And they would bring her to him. And then they would all walk to the marriage supper. And they would celebrate for seven days. And if you missed out on that procession. And you missed out on that moment when the door shut. They weren't letting you in. That's the way it worked. And so Jesus was using language that they would have all understood. So what does that mean for us? If we are to take that to mean that way. Is that he has gone to prepare a place for us. He has gone to make a way for us. So that we will be where he is. But. We need to be ready because He is going to return. We don't know when. We don't know how. This isn't trying to make anybody feel a certain way or to get you to feel. But, but are you ready for that? Are you ready? What would it take for us to make ourselves ready for that dawn of the, the day of the Lord? The day of Christ coming. So I want us to think about that for a moment today. As we await the dawn of His kingdom, I believe that these passages that we've read today, these truths that we've discussed today, inspire us to a dynamic, active faith. One that is engaging in justice. One that is fervently praying. One that is holding on to hope. And one that is staying prepared for Christ's return. My hope and prayer today is that our lives would faithfully embody these profound truths as we reflect on them today. And I just want to take a few moments and 
just pray to God before we transition today. So can you just do me a favor? Can you just focus your heart on the Lord right now? And let's just go to Him today in prayer. Lord, may You continue to guide us. Continue to guide us through our journey of faith. Help us, Lord, to live justly. To seek You urgently, God. To hold on to the hope that we have, God, to remain vigilant in what you have called us to do as we await your kingdom. Lord, we know that at times we have missed the mark. We have fallen short of your word and your truth, your moral standard, your glory. And we have missed it, Lord. We don't deserve it. But God, in your grace, you have been so gracious to us. God, we're sorry that there have been times where we have not been loving towards you or loving towards those that you've put in our lives. But we ask that you would just continue to pour out your grace in our lives. We can rejoice today knowing that you are faithful to forgive those who humbly repent. And so Lord, we repent today. But we are truly sorry that we have missed the mark, but Lord, we are also abundantly thankful that you have been gracious to us, that you have poured out your love in our hearts and our lives, and we can continue to lean on you. We can rejoice that you say in your word, come to me, all you who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. I will put all things back into order. Lord, that we can rejoice that you love the world so much that you sent your son to die for us, that whoever believes in Him should not perish, but have everlasting life. And that we also know that because of that, we have an advocate with You, Jesus Christ, our Lord, who reigns with You in the Holy Spirit in eternity, forever. King of the universe. Name above all names, Lord. And so we thank You that we have an advocate and that we know that He purposely came so that those who are broken and lost could be made whole and could be redeemed. Lord, we have received that redemption today. And may we not neglect that to give you thanks today. Lord, we thank you that we have peace today because of what you have done. That even in the midst of chaos, even in the midst of turmoil, <coughs> even in the midst of <coughs> trial, God, you can pour in us such peace that surpasses all understanding. And so God, I pray today that you'd help us as we hold on to that peace and cling to that love and that hope and that peace today, God. Lord, give us an opportunity to go and to share that with each other, God, today. And to speak blessings on each other's lives and to be a people of peace today. Lord, may you order our steps today and guide us, Lord. In Jesus' name. Amen. Can we do that today for a few moments as we prepare for communion? Can you just offer each other the peace of God and walk around and greet each other this morning for a few moments? Amen. Amen. Amen.
Yeah, sure. For the sake of your son, Jesus Christ, have mercy and forgive us that we may delight in your will. Amen. Amen. Praise the Lord. I knew they were just visiting. But, uh, they were just visiting, but maybe they had to leave. Thank you, Lord. Hallelujah. Thank you, Lord. 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 We thank you, Lord. Well, we declare today that yours, O Lord, is the greatness and the power and the glory and the victory and the majesty, Lord. For everything in heaven and on earth is yours, God. It is all yours, God. Yours is the kingdom, O Lord, and you are exalted as head above all. All things come from you, Lord. And everything we have, Lord, we give to you today. Our praise, our resources, our time, our talents, God. We lift him up to you today as an offering of praise to you, God. And Lord, we recognize as we see that you are with us, God. And that we offer our praise to you today. And we lift up our prayers to you, God. That it is right. And it is our duty and joy always and everywhere, God. To give thanks to you. To give you praise. You're the creator of heaven and earth. And so we praise you today. And we praise you joining our voices with the archangels, the angels, and with all the company of heaven who forever sing this hymn to you around your throne for all eternity. Holy, 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 Lord God, power and might. Heaven and earth are full of your glory. Hosanna in the highest. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. But we thank you today that in your infinite love, you made us for yourself. 
And when we had sinned and messed everything up and become subject to evil and death and all the brokenness in this world, that you in your mercy sent your only son, Jesus Christ, into the world for our salvation. He literally dwelt and tabernacled among us so that we could be free. And by the Holy Spirit and the Virgin Mary, he became flesh and dwelt among us. But we thank you today that he came and dwelt among us. Lord, in your obedience, he stretched out his arms and he laid down his life for us on the cross, offering himself once and for all. That by his suffering and death, we might be saved, that we might experience new life. And by his resurrection today, he broke the bonds of death, trampling hell and Satan under his feet. We can walk in victory today knowing that Jesus, our Lord and Savior, has crushed the head of the serpent. That it is maybe a prolonged judgment, but his day is coming. And we can rejoice in that today. We thank you, Lord, that we can rejoice today in this mystery. And we can rejoice and remember on the night that you were betrayed you took bread and when you had given thanks you broke it and you gave it to your disciples saying take eat this is my body which is given for you do this in remembrance of me likewise after supper Lord Jesus took the cup and when he had given thanks he gave it to them saying drink this all of you for this is the blood of my new covenant, which is shed for you and for many for the forgiveness of sins. Whenever you drink it, do this in remembrance of me. Therefore, we declare the mystery of the faith that Christ has died. Christ is risen and Christ will come again. And so we celebrate the memorial of our redemption, Lord. In this sacrifice of praise and thanksgiving, we offer you these gifts, Lord. May you sanctify them by your word and Holy Spirit to be for your people the body and blood of your Son, Jesus Christ. And may you sanctify us also, God, that we may worthily receive this holy sacrament, this mystery, God, and be made one body with him, that he may dwell in us and we in him. And in the fullness of time, put all things in subjection under his feet and bring us with all your saints into the joy of your heavenly kingdom. Lord, he is the door that makes it possible to, for us to walk in your presence. Lord, we know that one day we will see that now and forever. And so, Lord, we are bold to pray today as you have taught us to pray. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. And forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever. Amen. 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 Lord, we thank you that we can remember that Christ our Passover lamb is slain and we can rejoice today in his resurrection. And so, Lord, today, we don't presume to come down to this table trusting in our own righteousness. We don't presume to come down here uh, thinking that we are worthy, God. 
Lord, you alone and your abundant mercies and great love, God, have made it possible. We're not worthy to even take the crumbs from underneath your table. But Lord, you are the same Lord whose character is always to show mercy. Lord, may you grant us today that same mercy, that same love. And as we partake today, God, of this bread and this cup, God, may you continue to make us clean by his body. And may our souls be washed through his precious blood that we may evermore dwell in him and he in us. Lamb of God, who takes away the sins of the world, would you have mercy on us today? Lamb of God, who takes away the sins of the world, would you have mercy on us today? Would you grant us your peace today that we would continue to walk in it, God? Thank you, Lord. My friends, the gifts of God for the people of God. May we take them in remembrance that Christ died for us and may we feed on him in our hearts by thanksgiving today. Hallelujah. Joseph, the body of Christ, bread of heaven broken for you. Amen. Blood of Christ, cup of salvation, shed for you. Amen. Amen. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Thank you, Lord. Hallelujah. Thank you, Lord. Hallelujah. As the Lord leads on your heart today and as you reflect on these truths, would you come and let's partake together. And as you come, if there are things you need prayer for, we'd love for you to hang up here. Uh, we'd love to pray with you today if you need prayer for anything. But can we come and partake today? Amen. God's presence is here. Amen. Hallelujah. Hey, thank you for watching today's podcast. We hope that you will continue to join us and subscribe. Remember, we're just real people trying to show real love from a real God. And everything that you do to help with that uh, brings glory to God. So thank you, guys. Take care.